So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. All right, Michael. Today we're talking about some of Fantasia Film Festival's titles. Um, this is a, geez, maybe our third festival that we've done on the show. We did some SIF coverage, and then we did a Northwest uh, or Northwest Film Forum brief um, discussion. So this is Fantasia Film Fest 2020 coverage. That's right. More of a genre-focused film festival, one that I wasn't familiar with until recently, but cool program that we have three titles from to discuss. We do. Uh, first of which is going to be Christian Allvart's Free Country, followed by... We have special actors from Shinichiro Ueda, as well as Labyrinth of Cinema from Nobuhiko Obayashi. But first, as always, we're going to do some first impressions of Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks, as well as... Sean Durkin's The Nest. To On the Rocks. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. For women that are most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. Really? She's back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on. Do you? He should be worshiping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if he's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through. Here's the plaza. This is the place to have an affair. It has the most exits. Exits on three streets. Can you just act a little less excited about this? Because this is my life, and oh. it might be falling apart. I don't know why women get plastic surgery. Because of men like you. Mm -mm. I prefer the factory original. <laughs> yeah, and every other make and model. Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> All right, Michael. As our Sofia Coppola lover in resident, um, what do you think here? Yeah, I was trying to remember. I know I had this on my most anticipated movies you of did. the year list. I, it might have been my number one. I can't it remember. It was in your top five. I'm it was sure. high. Um, I don't know that it would still be that high if I were to remake that list now, but I still am very excited for this movie. Um, it's interesting. Like, I think this does look relatively conventional versus some of the other films Sofia Coppola has made. I don't think there's any film she's made where she hasn't done something that is kind of striking in a formal sense. I'm very curious to see what that might be here since this looks kind of by the books in a way as a kind of drama comedy about a father-daughter relationship. Um, but I think Bill Murray and Rashida Jones are just so charismatic I, I think i will very likely enjoy this what about you yeah i think i entirely agree with 
what you said there. Um, it's probably not going to be as high as Palm Springs was as far as comedy, you know, drama goes for me. But it's probably going to be, you know, damn near my top 20. Um, I don't get the sense I'm going to be formulaically dazzled by any type of the, the cinematic uh, language that is being communicated here. It looks very um, spiffy, but it doesn't look very special, I guess. Um, and at some level, that's kind of what I want from a Sofia Coppola movie. I want it to look a little bit gauzy. I want it to be kind of a flavorful treat that I'm, I'm viewing a little bit of Marie Antoinette. Um, I'm decidedly lower on films that are a little bit more boring conventionally i didn't particularly care for the virgin suicides or somewhere i really like her when she's kind of uh you know dazzling us or lost in translation where you're just getting um kind of dazzled by the screenplay and the cinematic direction so out in not too long like another month or so i i want to say oh i didn't see an official release date nor have i read one do you know if there is one or is it just fall still yeah i i think i misspoke it might not be within another month but it is soon i think fall is correct yeah Yeah. okay on to sean durkin's the nest this will be our fourth move in 10 years but money's fine right yeah right yeah this is a fresh start (laughs) how about this oh my god it's perfect i don't Is it? You're embarrassing. And you're exhausting. I paid our rent. I paid for Ben's school. I bought you a car. I bought you a horse. I paid for construction on your barn. You're delusional. I'll make money for us. For us? It's not for us. It's so you can go to fancy parties and tell people we have horses. For the first time in years, I feel worthwhile. I feel powerful. You're a poor kid pretending to be rich. We don't have any friends here. We don't have any family. What does it matter so much to you? Because I deserve this! And I deserve a lot more! All right, we just watched the trailer for Sean Durkin's The Nest. What do you think? To quote Jude Law, it's perfect. It's just what we wanted. Uh, I love Carrie Coon, um, something fierce. Ever since seeing her in The Leftovers, she's just kind of been one of my favorite actresses. Um, I even watched The Avengers movies and look for her tiny little cg role to get the nuances of it she's just one of my favorites um i'm thoroughly excited to watch this movie having had no idea about it two weeks ago a week and a half ago i am decidedly in the camp that this is maybe going to be one of the best movies of the year and that is a thrilling statement to make about something you just found out about I am right there with you. I am tremendously excited for this. Uh, It's kind of funny watching this back-to-back with On the Rocks because arguably they're both kind of about uh, marriages and crises. That are on the rocks? Yeah, that you might say. Um, This is, you know, clearly steeped in dread. I am very curious to see just uh, how far it goes into the thriller genre or if this remains kind of firmly psychological. Um, intriguing title, uh, 
considering what you actually see from the trade from the trailer itself. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I'm psyched. I think it looks really good. I completely and wholeheartedly agree. Do you have any idea when we'll be able to watch this IFC film? This one is very soon. This one was on my calendar. September 18th, it hits VOD. That is thrilling. So you're telling me that we're going to be able to watch Tenet. We're going to be able to watch I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We're going to be able to watch The Nest and... The Devil All the Time? Within like a two and a half week period. That is a fantastic way to start the late summer. Good things ahead. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. All right, on to Christian Alvarez, Free Country. upon a time discussed a film trilogy called the red writing trilogy this film has a lot in common with that trilogy specifically that you don't like it that is correct i'm maybe slightly higher on the red writing is it red writing hood trilogy no it's just red writing something or yes the red writing trilogy yeah and then there's different years of the red writing murders right i may be slightly higher on that trilogy but i think the, that comparisons comparison is entirely apt um how do you feel about this one relative to that trilogy that trilogy i think is far superior um however i do like this movie about twice as much as you Mm. um which you know is still i'm i'm as barely in a three range as you can be it's probably Mm. like a 56 for me um, just really on the edge of, of getting it up there. Um, there's just little things about the way that he kind of tracks with his fisheye that mm. I I just kind of like. You could kind of turn mm. your brain off and really just follow the cinematic um, throughput of how he's bringing you these images. Unfortunately, though, um, and my review mentioned this, so maybe you already saw it. I was flooded with the thought of you can cut this. Mm. And I really don't think that often about pieces of cinema or film. Um, Like I, 
I, I've done some assistance work with like work stuff and editing. And I, I kind of try to turn my brain off when we're watching things. But this was one of those movies where I couldn't turn it off. Mm. I was like, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And I think that that is where this movie really loses itself in all the things it doesn't need. Yeah, it's long. It's, I think it's a little over two hours, like maybe mm-hmm. two hours and ten minutes or so. I would agree. I don't think it needs to be that long. Um, I think it could lose 15 minutes and have no problems. Yeah. Um, since it's uh, still awaiting distribution, I think, or it hasn't come out yet, um, we'll just talk about what it's about a little bit. Yeah. Just to describe it and kind of lay the groundwork. Um it's a crime thriller, an adaptation of a Spanish film, I believe, called, called Marshland. Marshland. Yeah, uh, it's set in um, former East Germany in the early '90s. It's a police procedural uh, where you have two cops, uh, two very different kinds of cops, coming together to investigate the disappearance of a couple young women in this um, industrial town on Germany's border with Poland. Um, the, how would you characterize the tone of the movie? Tired. Oh. I think the cops get a little tired after a while, and I, I did too. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's a tiresome affair. I, I think that, you know, it, it is certainly nihilistic in tone, which is going to lead you to, like, you know, the that feeling. But unfortunately... The two words are, are tiresome and hackneyed when I think about, like, what this is. And, and hackneyed is essentially meaning, like, this is something you've seen before, something that you've seen everywhere. It is essentially formulaically lazy. There's nothing special about it. Going to see the oracle on the boat felt mm. just as stupid as seeing the fake pig taken out of the backpack. There's just a level mm. of unfortunate stupidity to something that does have a, a decent pulp and propulsiveness somewhere in it. Um, but like Pandorum, you know, this is just genre, not anything elevating from the genre. It's not going into the horror elements. It's not going into the true hard-boiled detective side. It's just doing the most mediocre job with the genre that it can while still being somewhat engaging. Like, I I didn't have a hard time watching it from beginning to end, which I think, mm. um, y- you know, in lesser hands, it, it would have been harder to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I did have a harder time watching this one. Um, I, for me, I, th- I think it leans pretty heavily on the historical and political backdrop for its uniqueness. And I think there is something poorly. Well, I would hyphenate that and say it does all that poorly. I think it's kind of an inspired choice to exploit the good cop, bad cop trope as a method through which to explore the nation's kind of conflicted identity after um, the country has been reunified. But I think the exploration of that through the genre is just too familiar to really be interesting um, in its execution. I think it's kind of sounds better on paper than it actually is when it's brought to life on screen um, because of 
the things you already talked about, which is that the genre beats, I think, are just far, far, far too familiar. Um, and I think it's just a really unpleasant movie to look at for the most part for me. Um, I, I would agree, but I think that choice is somewhat interesting. Like, I think it could have looked better if you wanted it to. Like, I genuinely think that the lenses he chose are to make it look gritty and grimy. But then there's other things, like the drone footage, that are just straight up fucking bad. Yeah, I, it's... And I can say that, because I know. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I don't think the the cinematography looks particularly good. I'm with you there. I think, yeah, the tone is so dreary and cheerless that, like, it it is entirely fitting that this is it that is fitting given the setting and the 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 events of the plot obviously that's just what you'd expect from a crime thriller of this kind i think he really kind of fails in making the kind of muddiness and the griminess of this location visually interesting i think it never really rises above the kind of muck that seems to just kind of run over this film and I think it just kind of gets stuck in its own kind of dreariness that's very unpleasant. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is a, a the fault of any performance. I think the two leads are decent, but I don't know that these characters are particularly memorable by any means. Yeah, I, th- I think I would point to the screenplay and tell you that all the characters are poorly written. Um, but... I, I do like a lot of the performances here, honestly. Like, I, I think that Felix Kramer's Marcus Bach, the big guy that um, mm. is introduced to us after he storms out of his bathroom and tackles our, you know, more angelic detective. I, I think that he's kind of a, a fun guy to, to keep track of throughout the runtime. Without mm. him, I really would have found it boorish, to be honest. Like, he, he was kind of the, the saving grace of entertainment where I just never really knew what was going on with him. Um, mm. And that kind of kept me intrigued. I think the the worst thing about the formulaicness here is, in fact, the end villain. Mm. I think that by choosing literally any of the other previous characters introduced to us as the villain would have been so much more engaging and rewarding in the end mm. than some random fucking guy that I saw the face of for 1.3 seconds before he gets ultimately stabbed like 180,000 times and dropped into the sewage facility, right? Like, that was just tiresome. I would have rather seen the um, the caretaker woman that gets, you know, uh, beaten by the cops multiple times. Yeah. I would have rather seen the mother actually, you know, the one that hands him the film to begin with, actually mm. be the culprit. Mm. Um you know, something like that, um, where, you know, when he takes her to Berlin, she, w- she would have, like, killed him in that room and run mm-hmm. away or something. Like, that would have been so much more intriguing of a detective film. This screenplay, in the end, was the problem to begin with. And I can only bring so much blame to other places where the material is just not good to begin with. Yeah, I can't say I was ever particularly interested in finding out who ultimately committed these crimes, which is a real problem for this movie on a really fundamental level. So that's level. the thing, right? Like, you know that you're supposed to care, and then the movie makes you not. And you're, like, mm. checking in with it, like, what am I watching again? Because, like, mm. I thought when I started this movie, I wanted to know who committed these murders. 
Mm-hmm. But now I wonder where the guy is with the pig and if they're going to eat dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's just details that just didn't really appeal to me. I think there is something to the context, you know, the the, the setting of this, um, of these murders in um, this uh, uh, community that's kind of undergoing transformation um, and getting a sense for different people's feelings about it you know the people who want to escape to berlin the people who are coming in here from from poland for work um i mean i think that is sort of the movie's like um differentiate differentiating like trait um but there's just not enough uh merit to the craft in my opinion to make it a pleasant sit which craft uh just kind of direction in general um like, I really can't point to much that I thought to myself, that I saw and thought to myself, wow, that's an interesting uh, use of the form. Um, it just felt so familiar in this kind of dreary serial killer kind of movie that I feel like I've seen just dozens and dozens of times. Um, it's because you have. That's true. It's true. There's just I just don't think there's much filmmaking muscle, and there's I don't really get a sense of a signature from Christian Alvert. You know, we've talked about Pandorum. Mm-hmm. That was, we, we talked about that one a while ago. Um, I'm not sure I see what kind of touch it is that he's bringing to his filmmaking um, that feels like it's usually kind of derivative from whatever genre it is that he's working in. Yeah, there's two things there. There's the fact that I generally just like whatever, you know, the the word knack is just what I go back to. I, I wish I had a better word. There's something about his knack for tracking things with this, with the focus of his camera that I can, it's kind of like when you wonder how you got home, when you drove home, it's like that. Like, I wonder how I watched that movie, but I did it. Mm. And he's got some of that, like, it's not really a big compliment, but there is something to, I think, the filmmaking knack where you can just find a through line visually that drags your viewer along, even in a movie like this that I didn't particularly feel engaged with at all. I kept watching, and that's not just because we had to talk about it on the show, like, there was some part of me that just had all these these differentiating questions throughout the runtime. And then I started having questions about the questions I had. Um, I, I can't make a case for, you know, his distinctive visuals or bringing, you know, a certain part of the Berlin scene to film. But I, I do think that there is, there's something uncanny to the knack that he has with the camera. And I think that maybe with better material, with a better team around him, he makes a better movie. I, I have, you know, I have not seen case 39 or a lot of his other movies, but I, he's just one of those guys that whenever I hear about him getting a project, you know, I'm biased. I just like to hear that that guy got some work. I, I, at some level just like his work. Um, even though I might disagree about its quality, I like that he's working and I like visiting his work to see what he tried to bring to the screen. And often, you know, I find myself on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, there's definitely something to be said for, you know, a director who opts to kind of follow the playbook of any given genre. And it's interesting that he has kind of 
maneuvered between different genres this being the crime thriller the serial killer movie mm-hmm. sci-fi with pandorum horror with case 39 49 39 i think case 39 i believe yeah um and you know, I think there are directors who really bring something kind of unique in their uh, formal approach to a familiar genre, and that's usually really fun. I just, I, gu- I guess I could consider it competent, but it just seems so, it just seems too unremarkable to me to rec- to recommend with any uh, real passion. Yeah, I, I've yet to watch his Netflix series, Dogs of Berlin, but I gather that that's kind of his coup de gras like the thing that that really earned him some more um film budgets and and more respect within the industry so i I do feel like i need to watch that in order to uh to familiarize myself with his work a little bit more fair enough uh should we move on to our next title you want to say what your favorite scene is i don't know that i have one do you have one you'd like to bring up I do think that the dream scene is interesting because you Mm. don't know that it's a dream necessarily because almost nothing changes with the camera. Mm. Um, So I will say that that was interesting, but I think I was most surprised, which is very negative, to say how good it looked when they got in the boat to go towards the um, other boat. Mm. For some reason, that just looked really good. And even though it's very much like a a normal shot that you'd see watching Ozark, Mm -hmm. it was still a good shot. I'll give him that. I can get behind that. On to uh, Shinshiro Ueda's special actors. Michael, special actors. This is a movie about a special uh, brother who has a brother who gives him a job, or so it would appear. Uh, We previously covered One Cut of the Dead on the show about a year ago during Halloween. What do you think about our second experience with Ueda? I totally forgot that one cut of the dead was during our Halloween episode. Um, but yeah, we were both big fans of that one. That was uh, heavy. This was very, that film was very much on my mind as I watched this one. I'll be curious to hear if it was, if that was the case for you or not. Um, of course, that's the only way to, you watch, you go in watching a movie going, okay, this is going to be something like that. Because watching these movies is very different than watching anyone else's movies. Mm. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, yeah, like you said, it centers on this 
uh, kind of young, aspiring actor uh, who's struggling to get jobs. He has this affliction where he faints when he's particularly nervous or stressed out, particularly when he's intimidated by like another male figure. Um, And he gets roped into uh, working with his brother for this like all purpose acting troop that you can hire for any and all purposes. Like you might want to impress your girlfriend by beating someone up. You can hire the special actors to fake this scene so you can impress your girlfriend. Very much thought of Family Romance LLC. I thought mm. of the um, the Alps mm. film. Oh, well, I, there was one film I thought of too, which is a David Fincher film, which I actually don't even want to say which film it is because I think it gives away the ending of this movie to even know which film I'm alluding to. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes. Interesting. Right? You are very accurate. For some reason, I never even had that one pop up. Very different tone, obviously. But that did, that that David Fincher film didn't come to mind as one I thought this might have taken inspiration from. And we're talking about Aliens 3, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Obviously. <laughs> Just a really dumb um, But I, I literally think mentioning that film gives away what the last twist of special actors is. If you've is. seen it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's great gamesmanship you have. There you go. Um, it's, it's, and so our young guy joins this, spe- this uh, acting troupe, and they are hired to infiltrate a cult. They are mm-hmm. hired to go undercover in this cult and... To rescue a sister from having her sister give away the hotel that they tragically inherited, or her sister tragically inherited, after their parents died in a car crash that she was the driver of. Right. Which all sounds like it could be heavy stuff. I think very much like One Cut of the Dead, this is incredibly lighthearted fair. So there's... There's two things happening. It's lighthearted where we're watching it, but the content within the lightheartedness is macabre. But it's not really because on the outer shell, we're watching, just like One Cut of the Dead, a production of a production. Yeah, um, I think there is a certain silliness to this that I think is actually quite pleasant. Um, there's, There's kind of an innocence to this project that I find very appealing. Um, the sliding open at the end of the the first climax, we'll say, mm. when they crawl out of the cupboards. I loved that. Oh, it yeah. made me think yeah. of that Putney Swope anecdote where everyone was under the table. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that the plot twists here are as satisfying as the ones in One Cut of the Dead. Not that everything needs to be, you know, made... Uh, not that everything needs to be compared to that film, but I do think this stretches our suspension of disbelief, maybe close to the point, close to its breaking point. Um, yeah, but that's why it's the best. It's like watching a cartoon in live action. I loved it. That, that's a great way to put it. Um, I did feel like because One Cut of the Dead was literally about a film crew and a particularly scrappy film crew that that kind of obscured some not top tier, not particularly high caliber filmmaking that is a little more obvious here because of what the content is, what the structure of the narrative is. That is very true. However, I think they leaned into acknowledging that a little Mm. bit more here. Mm. Um, Like I think that the very pretense of the project gives them the leeway necessary for the 
the lower quality visuals that we're seeing. Um, and honestly, it while it's low quality, in, instead of in the case of Free Country, where we're just both disappointed, mm. here I found it quaint, you know? Like, it, it, was, yeah. it was cute. It was endearing. 100%. Those are absolutely the right words to use. And I think it's kind of a great extension of of what I felt like one cut of the dead was kind of expressing, which is this like really genuine and enthusiastic belief in creativity. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of an awesome like thing for a director to be all about. Like, I don't know that I can think of anyone who is that sort of like who champions creativity with this kind of like open heartedness that this guy does. I kind of love that. Um, and it's just a fun movie to watch. Right. Like, I, I mean, let's just acknowledge we talked about it without too many spoilers. Let's get to some of the spoilers. After the big reveal, going back and realizing the sequence where he has walked down the stairs and has seen the secret plan. Mm. Like, realizing the planning that that took <laughs> in retrospect is like... It's a very good piece of, of writing, right? It's, it's surprisingly <laughs> intricate. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, like, I, I'm quite thrilled to, like, revisit what the actual plot of the plot inside of the plot was. And go, mm-hmm. wow, that is very intricate. Yeah, like, you might need to, like, diagram it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, kind See, of. <laughs> like, how much of this was, was, like, miraculous luck versus, like, Right when he passes out behind the door, that's miraculous luck. Exactly right. Uh, That scene in particular was like, that that went off fascinatingly. And then like when he drops his ball, also known as drops his boob. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At those very key times, like you can't cue that up. Yeah. Um, I do like that actor quite a bit who plays our lead Uh character. Yeah. it's probably, I also like our director, or our it, sir. There are quite a few people boss. I like here, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just particularly liked his kind of body language and how genuinely stressed out he is all the time. And, like, just the kind of, like, uh, this, this he kind of just looks like he's about to blow over at any given point mm-hmm. in time. Like, he's just going to kind of collapse. I think he really embodies this kind of, like, perpetual fright that this kid has. And he's also um, so good at being a bad actor while being a good actor. Definitely. That is not easy. Um, but, yeah, pretty a pretty fun cast. Anybody else you, like, liked in particular? I mean, I, I really enjoyed the asides of the boss. Being excited when he's finally called boss. And, uh, God, they're going over their final plan. And he interrupts him and he says, isn't that my line? And I just started giggling so furiously. (laughs) It is very amusing. I laughed out loud. And then, like, looking back on it, realizing that that was actually his line was so much funnier. (laughs) It is amusing to uh, to think about in hindsight, for sure. Um, yeah, this, I don't know about you, but so far for me, I would say this is my favorite film of the festival. I don't know if it's going to be my highest rated at the end, um, the title we're going to get to, Labyrinth of Cinema. 
I genuinely can't project how I'm going to end up on that on on the year. Like that could mm. really break into my top ten, even mm. though I don't know that I even liked watching it most of the time. Um, <laughs> even though I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this one, I just absolutely had a great time. This is my favorite way to film. Um, how about you? Uh, I, this is definitely my favorite of the fest so far. I think I probably still prefer one cut of the dead. I think there's something just even more satisfying about how those twists are revealed. Um, and I, th- I think they're maybe a little bit more convincing for me, but, uh, yeah, I, I still had a great time with this one do you have a favorite scene well i particularly liked the gal with the glasses who's kind of playing like the the cult member who kind of goes nuts who mm-hmm. she's playing someone who is supposedly a reporter that mm-hmm. the cult finds out to be a reporter um any scene where she just kind of goes nuts i particularly enjoyed she was very fun to watch um what about you just just before I go, um, her lines are some of the funniest in the movie. <laughs> she takes the rope or the gag out of her mouth and she says, I always wanted to be gagged. Totally. I was <laughs> she so smells shocked. It, and then she goes, ew. <laughs> she like throws it away. It's just so funny. Her running gag with the bondage theme was very funny. <laughs> it's so, the movie, as you said, has a cuteness to it. Then you hear those lines, you're like, oh. A little bit racy. She's dirty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A little bit adult, even though it's, call out. it's very childish. Um, I think my favorite scene is actually like an, the extended sequence that begins when they bring in the um, like the the seer or the medium or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and the lights start flickering and Jack's possessed, and then uh, it all ends with him getting stabbed. Like that whole sequence, I thought was fantastic acting and really good camera choreography just great usage of tone over an extended period of time um yeah i'm i'm very likely to rewatch this one probably this year because i I, it's just fun it's just a dang good time i i highly recommend this out of out of all three i think this is by far the most approachable film that i would recommend to Mm -hmm. our viewers word agreed or listeners rather we're not a visual show look at that on to Labyrinth of Cinema. Umibe no ega kan no maka desga. Kono yona jimbutsua. Nochini tabitabi kono ega ni tojo suru kempe de arimas. Genzai no hanayakana bumeji dai o minna de mukaite ita koro. Nippon o dai hyo suru shijin nakahara chuyaba. Sono seishun no naka de kono yona isetsu no kostorimas. Iwak. Bumme kai kato shito yu keredo. Yaban kai hats to bokua yobimas. この昼夜が焼き時代とも呼んだという歴史に参加しなければ。それを熱い熱い映画の仲間たちと一緒に。この映画は中華さんに導かれて20世紀の日本の戦争映画を訪ねてみるものです。Michael, the year is 20,919,332. We're in a spaceship. Now we're in Japan sometime. 
early-ish. Too far forward, Hawaii's merged with Japan, go back a little bit. We're here. The Shogunites are happening. There's a lot happening. How do you make any sense of this movie, man? There is a lot happening. That is true. Very true. This is our last and longest title for today by a good measure of good About solid twice as long as the, well i guess free country was two but it was it was two that felt like an hour and 40 like it wasn't that bad yes neither of us realized that this was three hours going into it of reading that's right as neither of us are fluent in japanese at this time that's right uh i read that the director nobuhiko Obayashi passed away within like the last six months, which is his last film. Um, I think he's most known for the film House, House the cult classic, which I think is maybe on Criterion. Um, first time I've seen anything by him. Um, Me too. Yeah. Um, so it's this kind of journey through Japanese cinema and history. It starts... But I don't know what's real. Fair enough. It is quite imaginative in its format and but narrative. The, but, like, the introduction with that guy who's recovering in America, was that real? I don't know what that was. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah, I do have many questions. And I could not follow a lot of this movie. Like, I just have to come right out and say that. Like, I just was often lost. I just kind of felt like I was... So you, I had flew over, flew over the handlebars here at some point. We were in Japan. And then... We were observing the cinema, or we were observing times of war in Japan. Correct. I got it. There you go. Yeah, it's weird. I think you can kind of follow very small fragments of the movie, and you can follow the really broad themes about, like, you know... What happens in in a chair? That, too. Um, Like, I think the just the 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 hope of a world without war and the passion for cinema are is like very easy to pick up on really attaching that to the specifics of these three guys' journey through cinema a little harder to follow um i found the back half much easier to follow than the first i don't know if you felt that way i felt the opposite really i really understood what was happening in the first up through the intermission okay very very clearly very fascinating. Um, because it was all superimposition of like archetypal character. Mm. And then there were a lot more characters, and I don't know if they were all archetypal or not. Whereas before that, like every character that goes into the cinema is an archetypal character that we're revisiting mm. essentially along this line. And then I started not recognizing like if that was someone in the cinema or not. Mm. And that led me to a lot more questions about the content. And then, like, maybe you will have a totally different feeling about this. But I thought that the hope for no war was, like, the point of that was stupidity. Like, I thought that that was, Mm. while, you know, it's presented as sincere, I thought it was also presented as, like, an impossibility. Just like mm, yeah. um, one of our characters being in love with the girl who's been dead forever. Mm, yeah, it definitely seems like this movie is kind of holding two things at the same time. Like a recognition that it's just in our blood to fight. That feels mm-hmm. like it's part of the point. And at the same time, the movie can't help but hope or dream of a world where there is no world. Or no war, sorry. Yeah. Um, 
and those are kind of always kind of intention, I guess. And he's coming from a future where there ostensibly must be war. Right, right. Um, so he already knows that that's not true. Right. Yeah, you said, you mentioned the word stupidity. There is kind of like a farcical element to it. Yes, um, and but I, the, I like that a lot. I definitely like that too. It, until it kind of dovetails into real deep sadness. Um, I, I'm just not like familiar enough with a lot of the history it's covered in the first half of the movie, which is like... 19th century Japan, once you get into, like, the Hiroshima storylines, like, that's easier for me to follow. Um, but yeah, I certainly, like, was sort of on the wavelength of the farce that sort of gets us going, and then I think it becomes gradually more emotional as you go. Was that yeah. your experience? Um, I think maybe... You could say objectively it does. I don't think that I, the viewer, found it more emotional mm. then. I think I found it more emotional in the beginning. Mm. And the, to me, the closer we got to that Hiroshima event, the more farcical the horror element became. Where, like, the guy that's committing the rape has a Hitler mustache and is, like, the mm. Japanese leader. And just, like, yep. seeing that whole arc, like, was very much comedic. Mm. The the shootouts where people would die, very comedic. Mm. Um, whereas earlier, even though there's a farce level in during that Shogunite period, it was also like highly emotional mm. um, dialogue, I think, versus a little bit more conventional genre dialogue towards the end, um, where it was also just trying to kind of sew together storylines and character pairings. That it had been making, um, I, th- I think the the as recent an event that I thought was sincere and farcical was probably the discussion um, in the pool that they have mm. um, after the the boys leave to go to the village, and there's just one guy left there with one of the actors who sadly didn't get to perform with his teacher or whatever. Like that mm. was the last time that I kind of felt sincere farcical. And mm-hmm. then it just kind of gets into that formulaic of wrapping itself up. I still, I, I don't think that that's bad. I just think it was necessary for mm. a film this audacious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it is odd to watch a three-hour movie and feel like it is moving too fast for you. Like, I had trouble keeping up with this thing for a lot of it. Um, it's partly just the editing, which is like just such a breakneck editing and and there's obviously all these mixed formats mm-hmm. from like live action and cgi green screens and on-screen text like it is and green screen tableaus of backgrounds where there's like an interactive surface in the foreground and then like the water is cg but also not mm-hmm. yeah i think it's pretty cool i really like the 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 variety of of format here and how just kind of spontaneous it feels and kind of freewheeling um you know for a three-hour movie to feel like it's really just kind of being made as you watch it is is pretty cool it's kind of a dream it's one of the films that i can think of that's like more dream than almost anything else that i've ever seen 100 percent um yeah especially as you know you go from like black and white footage to color footage and that kind of thing um yeah, like it, it, it moves on a, at its own speed and it's on its own wavelength. <laughs> this is, 
more than a lot of other movies, like one of those things that if someone was starting in film and wondered like what they can do, I think mm-hmm. I'd recommend this because I didn't even know you could do this. And I've seen fucking 6,000 or whatever movies, according to Letterboxd. Like, this mm-hmm. is a mind-blowing piece that I I really, really like, but mm-hmm. am very drained by. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the very unique titles where I don't know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. There's very few of those that you'll watch, you know, in a given year or in a given decade or, or life where you think that you really are exhausted, but you kind of love it and you're, mm-hmm. you just don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it, it is a long sit because I think it's easy to just kind of lose your grip on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the just kind of audaciousness, I think that's, I'm just stealing your word now, but the audaciousness of the style is is pretty... That's kind of what keeps me on board for most of it. Um, and the I think the ideas come through even if you're sort of lost on the specifics. Um, yeah, that's the thing, right? The specifics don't matter. Yeah, pretty much. And some scenes I would just kind of zone out on because I was totally lost. And then I would suddenly be back in it the next scene. Um, with something that moves this quick, you can very kind of you kind of pop in and out if something yeah. resonates or doesn't, I guess. And then like, you'll notice that certain objects have, you know, their own character and mm. like the chair. I really think that the mm. chair was something that he was doing a mini meditation on. Right. Cause that's mm. the same room where she bites her tongue off. Mm. And then the woman lets herself get raped by all of the men so that they can escape. And then like the next scene, one of our heroes is like reclining on it, sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of different tones. And, and it, it's the same chair and it's hundreds of years later or whatever. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot to it. Um, before we get too much further, I brought up to you earlier and I'll read it now. Uh, quote from Jean-Luc Godard, who had something to say about direction versus editing, which I think in a film like this is very, very apt. He said, A film, ingeniously directed, does indeed give the impression of having been laid end-to-end. But a film, ingeniously edited, gives the impression of having suppressed all direction. And I think that this film gives the impression of having suppressed all direction in the best possible way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and... Yeah, to me, that just ties back to this sense of spontaneity, the feeling of this just being a kind of a living a living organism that just kind of does its own thing for three hours. Um, That's a great way to put it. A living organism that does its own thing. <laughs> that I don't totally get, but I'm kind of getting down with. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, <laughs> the best way I can put it. Um so I would recommend it just with uh, a word of caution, I guess. I, I would recommend it to people that love cinema and love experimental cinema. If me describing movies as cinema already gets you off the the boat ride, don't watch this. Mm-hmm. It, if you just like movies that make sense, that are in English language, do not watch this movie. This is a movie for people that love cinema, that love cinema history, that want to get into an actual labyrinth that they don't know if they got out of, even though the movie's over. Oh, I got very, very lost in that labyrinth. Did you have a favorite scene? 
Gosh, it's like hard to describe scenes within this movie just because you have to be like really specific. Did you have a favorite motif? <laughs> I kind of had like images that, were, that really stood out. Like there's one of one of the three guys who gets sucked into the movies. Is sort of he sort of has a crush on the girl that they're like trying to rescue or the chasing. Ghost girl, yeah. Correct. Um, there are a couple of scenes where there are like these really blue, these vividly blue images, and he kind of has like a moment. This like affectionate moment with her right in front of like the really bright orange moon. You know, it's weird. Like, I don't know. Some of these images are just so vivid and they just really stick in your, in your memory versus others that are more black and white and more almost kind of essayistic, I guess. Um, I don't know if that rings even a bell or not, but yeah, I, I, that's the one. I kind of think that I know <laughs> maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. There you go. What about you? Mine is a lot more straight together. It's the intermission. No, I'm joking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mine is the scene in which we see the projectionist streaming the films together. I thought that that was one of the actual most cinematically beautiful scenes in the entire film. And the meta-ness of it, I found delightful, as well as the fact that I just love film and seeing mm. that process take place. It was just nice. Um, so that's my favorite. Yeah, I'll throw out one more just because it came to mind. And I have no idea how it relates to like anything else that happens in the movie. But there's one of the kids is like recalling when he was a little boy having made a little film by like drawing on the film script. Yes. That was about like Mr. Mumble. Be- because he something. took a bath with the film. And he washed it off or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But I enjoyed that little detour in this labyrinth. Of imagination. And that's our Fantasia Fest coverage with more to come. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can.